0: Welcome to the sermon podcast of Grace Presbyterian Church. For more information about our church, please visit our website, gracechurchlaunceston.com. Today, chapter 3 of Jonah. Friends, the Lord Jesus tells us in Matthew's Gospel, Matthew 28, uh, to make disciples of all nations. And Jonah chapter 3 points us forward to when Jesus would come And after winning the the, uh, victory over evil, um, paying for our sins at the cross, Jesus would go on to say, Matthew 28, to to make disciples of all nations. You see, God has always intended that um, the message of Jesus, the gospel, would go out to the world. God has always planned that the nations would be included into Jesus' kingdom. He says to us, go and make disciples. But our big problem, I think it is anyway, is confidence. Confidence. I think we lack confidence that God's word accomplishes God's mission to the nations. I think we can lack confidence to speak and lack confidence that when we speak, anything will happen. Uh, but Jonah chapter 3, what a breath of fresh air Jonah chapter 3 is. Um, God shows us here that he wants people from every tribe, tongue, and nation gathered into His people. We find that God's Word in this chapter does God's work. God's mission to the nations is what Jesus calls us to do and be a part of. So, let's have a look at Jonah chapter 3 today and I've got three points. Uh, We've got a a message to proclaim, point two, the response to the message and point three, the God of mercy. So, verse 1, we meet a prophet Um, a Jewish prophet, and he's back on dry land. If you know the story of Jonah, there was a big fish and he was eaten alive. Uh, But we can only imagine what it must have been like for him, the relief he would have felt coming back to dry land. Can you imagine (laughs) the relief he would have felt? It would have been a nightmare in the fish, wouldn't it, really? and it would have been vivid in his memory being swallowed by a fish is probably something you don't process very quickly uh, and yet overwhelmingly I think Jonah here would have been really just grateful really grateful he would have been so thankful God had brought him up as it were from, from death to life he would brought him out from the grave to being on dry land again so verse 1 we find that the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time it says there to a second time and we meet Jonah, a changed man, a different man from the beginning of the story, and, and so it is with us as well. I think that in spite of our reluctance, Jonah was very reluctant, in spite of our reluctance and perhaps even our stubbornness to God, uh, towards God, God is persistent. He is persistent in pursuing us. God is committed to making us people who are fit for service in His, in his mission. We might be reluctant, and I think we might sometimes be reluctant, but God doesn't give up on His plans for you and I. The Word of God, you see, does does its work on Jonah. God's Word does its work in Jonah. Notice the change. Um, He's being shaped by the Word. God's Word has uh, broken down His disobedience. The Word has worked powerfully in Jonah, and God's Word has the power to work wonderfully in us as well. So um, God says to Jonah, verse 2, Go to the great city of Nineveh. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim it to, to it the message I give you. Um, it's a little bit different from, this, from the command that God gives Jonah in chapter 1, in verse 2. It says, the first time God told Jonah to go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. But this second time here in verse 2, he says, Go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So God is underlying that point, he's telling Jonah, preach against Nineveh, whatever the message is, you're going to go, Jonah, you're going to go to Nineveh, you're going to speak that message. It's um, God here is emphasising you've got to obey Jonah this time, in contrast to chapter one. And Jonah actually obeys this time, he goes to Nineveh, he walks right to that city. Um, and And the verse says there, Nineveh is verse three, a very large city. So it's a mega city of the ancient world. Uh, we find later there is at least 120,000 people there. That's bigger than Lodi. Um, it takes three days' journey to walk across it. It's a big city. God sends Jonah, the Jewish prophet, into the Assyrian heartland, into the midst of this um, this idol-worshipping pagan city. The Jewish prophet goes there because God is not only the God of the Jews. But he's also the God of everyone, even the Ninevites, even of us. God is the God of all people. And Jonah speaks this message, verse 4, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. It's a surprising message, it's, uh, I think it's a su- surprising message. It sounds anything but gracious, it's a message of judgment, And I imagine Jonah might have said more than just that that sentence, um, those exact words, but that's a summary of his sermons he's preaching across the city. It's simple, it's clear. Uh, Forty more days, Nineveh, and God is going to judge you and overthrow you. God's message is clear. You can't misunderstand it. It's very much to the point. And I think there's something to learn for us today about... Um, how we go about speaking the message, there is a simplicity to it, there is a clarity to Jonah's message here. God tells Jonah the message and Jonah tells the people exactly what God tells him to say and surely that's what we are to do as well as Christians today. We, the church, ordinary Christians, believers in Jesus, we've received the message of the Word of God, we've received the Gospel which is simply the announcement of the good news of Jesus, the announcement of what Jesus has done for us. It's a message we've received and it's a message we have been told to reclaim. Matthew 28, go and make disciples of all nations. That, that, that message encompasses, encompasses all sorts of things, doesn't it? A message that salvation belongs to the Lord, that there is judgment to come, that there is a gospel of grace, that there is a saviour Jesus so... You have to believe in Him, so that your sins are forgiven, and that you might receive new life with Him. That Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. That's the gospel. So, are we clear on that message? Are we on message? Are we on point? Is there clarity to our words? Are we able to speak with clarity? Now, of course, there's a place for persuasion when we talk about God. And, you know, arguments for: Is God there? Does God exist? the reliability of the Bible, these sorts of things that we can talk about. But I'm sure many of you have experiences of coming to know Jesus and little bits and pieces of the message of the gospel sort of fell into place like a jigsaw puzzle over time. Um, That's pretty normal. But the message of the gospel is is pretty simple. It's clear that salvation is found in no one else than Jesus. You have to believe in Jesus. You need to repent and believe in Him. So the Apostle Paul is really a fantastic example of how to speak with clarity. So Acts Acts 17, it's one of my favourite chapters, Acts 17 speaks to the people of Athens and he shows how their longings and even their idol worship in that place um, reveal there is a God there. Um, So Paul, Paul persuades, he uses arguments, he persuades. But at the same time, he says to the people of Athens, you are accountable to Jesus there is a God who sees your hearts, you are laid bare before Him. The things you do, the things you worship, the things you say, you need to give an account to Jesus for those things. So Acts seventeen thirty-one says, For he has, set, he has set a day when He will judge the world with justice by the man He has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising Him from the dead. Paul persuades, the Apostle Paul persuades, but he speaks with clarity. He gets to the point about a coming judgment and the need for faith in Jesus. And like Jonah, Paul speaks boldly. Imagine being Jonah walking into Nineveh and preaching that message. It's pretty courageous, isn't it? He says, 40 more days and your city will be overthrown. We're called to speak with clarity, simplicity and boldness. So, um, let's, that's first point done. Now, the second point... We see the response to the message. So, verses 5 to 9, it says, verse 5 the Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. It's a hard message, isn't it? But they all hear what Jonah says. They all hear. And they all receive it. They take it on board. Verse 5 they believed God. See that there? Verse 5 they believed God. Now that's not belief that God's there or out there somewhere, but a real belief in God. They accept God's word spoken to them through Jonah. They have, in other words, faith. They hear God speak and they recognize that this is God's message aimed squarely at them. So what do they do? They they repent, they turn away from their sins and turn to God from the from the least to the greatest. They put on, um, it says, sackcloth, and they fast. And these are, sort of, these are acts of contrition there. They're humbled before God. They, they are showing remorse and sorrow for their sin. And it's interesting to see that preaching a message of judgment leads to social reform, doesn't it? Perhaps this is a side point. But the Ninevites give up their violence, verse 8. They give up their evil ways. It, it leads to social change in the city and it makes a, um, you know, it makes sense, doesn't it? If we to understand that we're accountable to God for the way we live, if we, if we recognise that God is there and we come to know Him and trust in Him, then it will lead to a change of our lives and how we interact with other people and approach other people. The Gospel creates social change in Nineveh and it does that today as well. God's Word works at the heart level. It changes from the inside. And there's, I think, a lesson here for how we think about, how, um, about social change in the world today, whether it's people we know, whether we want to help someone else in, that, in our sphere of um, relationships or at a wider society level with the church. Um, and what I mean is that good deeds, doing good, in the world must never be separated from gospel words. We need to hold out uh, good deeds, we need to do good for other people but we also need to preach the message and share the message of Jesus with others. We can't separate those things out, the church c- cannot separate those things out. If we are to work towards change in society and we should want that, shouldn't we? We want less violence and less crime and better, just a better place to live in. And we, we, don't, we can't separate our good deeds from gospel words. The word of God is the power to create change. It's the word of God. Jesus changes from the inside. Good works and the gospel go together. And even a message of judgment, a message of judgment brings about huge reform in this city. And such is the power of God's word that even the great king of Nineveh, the great Assyrian king, uh, is broken what god says so verse 6 when jonah's warning reached the king of nineveh he rose from his throne took off his royal robes covered himself uh, with sackcloth and sat down in the dust this is the the proclamation he issued in nineveh it says by by decree of the king and his nobles do not let people or animals herds or flocks taste anything do not let them eat or drink but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and violence. Who knows, God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. It's, it's a picture of the whole city being broken before God, isn't it? It's not a half-hearted sorry, not sorry apology that you might see from or might give yourself. Uh, it's, they even cover their animals with sackcloth. Their animals are repenting. Imagine that, they urgently call on God, the king says. That's what they're to do, call on God. Give up your evil ways, stop mistreating other people, stop violence. It's an amazing response to um, Jonah's preaching. It's a wonderful response to the message. It's what we as Christians uh, long for as well when we speak about Jesus. We hope for this, we pray for this that people would respond to the message. Um, Jonah chapter 3 is, is really a description of what is called revival. Have you ever heard that word before? Um, we read about it time and time, uh, from time to time in the Bible, There's a, where lots and lots of people come to know God. Uh, you can read about it in church history as well, the great awakenings the Welsh revivals and that sort of thing. Um, I'm just going to unpack revival for us now because I think it's... A, it is a side point but i I think it's helpful to think about timothy keller um, the late timothy keller points out three things that happen during times of revival the first of all first of all in times of revival uh sleepy christians wake up um believers who are lethargic in their faith they god brings a conviction of sin and a real repentance happens in the spirit the holy spirit brings assurance that we're in christ that we're really loved by god In times of revival, people who are Christians but really lethargic in their faith, they're woken up by God. Secondly, in in revival, Christians who say they are Christians but not really Christians are converted, Um, name-only Christians, nominal Christians, people who have some loose connection to Christianity, in times of revival, they are converted. Um, The Spirit brings people to realise that maybe I'm not actually a Christian but I need to be. I've never really understood salvation... In Jesus but now I really believe. And thirdly, in times of revival, people who aren't Christians and know they're not Christians come to faith. Many outside the church come to know Jesus during these times, usually because sleepy Christians wake up and start telling their friends about Jesus and novel Christians are converted and people hear about what's going on and they want to find out more. Times of revival, like happens in Jonah chapter 3 here, the Word of God is central, the Word of God is central, the Word is preached, the Gospel is at the centre, there is fervent prayer and God's holiness is uh, taken seriously, sin is taken seriously, there's repentance. And so, in uh, Jonah chapter 3, we have a picture of this happening with a whole city responding to God. But if you think for a moment, um, isn't this exactly what happens when, in the more ordinary way as well? Um, Just think about how you became a Christian if you're a Christian here today or how your friend became a Christian. Uh, God takes his word and applies it to our hearts and it just gets a hold of us. The word is spoken to us and we we find out that we need a saviour, we need Jesus. We need the forgiveness of our sins and we realise that Jesus offers that to us. This chapter here in Scripture reminds us that God is powerful to bring a response. He can do it, He does it, all the time. Ninevites, even, who are described as evil and wicked, even by their own king, never underestimate the power of the Word of God to save. God's Word through Jonah accomplishes what God purposes. Um, Isaiah 55 says... God's word does not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and shall it succeed in the thing for which I sent it. You know, sometimes the word preached brings a, a, a turning away from God. But sometimes God's word brings revival. You know, it's easy to become discouraged, I think, to slip into a posture or an expectation that not much will happen when the word is shared and preached and proclaimed. That when I speak about Jesus, my words won't really have much effect at all, and that no one will respond. But surely Jonah 3 is here to give us a little bit of a boost, a confidence booster, that God's Word is powerful to save, even a whole city responds to a sermon. God uses a very reluctant prophet, Jonah, uh, and he can use us, in his purpose of bringing these people here to faith in him the very same God is at work today and our Lord Jesus tells us to make disciples and if that's his mission in, in making disciples of the nations we should have confidence that God's word will accomplish that mission that there is a beautiful and wonder, wonderful and glorious life available in Jesus and if you use someone like Jonah he can use he can use us so let's trust God in this So, third point, God's message is to be proclaimed, we've seen that, we've seen the response to the message in Nineveh, and now thirdly, and finally, we see the surprising mercy of God. We can't miss verse 10, can't miss verse 10, it's the God of mercy here. So, verse 10 says, when God saw what they did and how they returned from their evil ways, He relented and did not bring on them the destruction He had threatened. What a wonderful verse that is. Uh, When the Lord sees how Nineveh responds to the message, God sees their response here and He doesn't destroy the city. He doesn't do it, He relents. But the question is, why does He relent? Why doesn't He bring on them the destruction that He said He would bring? Why does God show mercy to these people? Nineveh really were the bad guys. They were pretty terrible. Um, They enslaved people. They invaded other countries and tribes and murdered them. They exploited people. They destroyed neighbouring cities and they were genuinely evil. They were. God relents. He doesn't bring upon them the destruction that he, He said He would bring. So we might ask, where is the justice where is the justice? How can God possibly not destroy them? Surely they've done too much. Surely it's not fair that God shows mercy on these people. But here in verse 10 we we learn something about God. We learn something of what God is like. Who God is. God is surprising in mercy. He's abundant in mercy. The Ninevites, they throw themselves on the Lord. Verse nine, verse 9, it says, Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. They repent and they find that God is compassionate. They find a God who does turn away from his anger. A God who, Ezekiel 33 says, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Nineveh finds a God who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. 1 Timothy 2, 2 Peter 3, The Lord is not slow to fulfil his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but all should reach repentance. Nineveh find a God of mercy and compassion. And you see, this is why, why Jesus came into the world. This is why God sent Jesus. God sent Jesus to us so that mercy might be proclaimed to all. So that all, anyone who would believe in Jesus would find mercy with God. You and I, we've done wrong things. I know you know that. We've done wrong things. We've wronged other people, we've wronged God. There's no one truly innocent. And the people in Nineveh realised that. They fell on the mercy of God and they found forgiveness. God promises that everyone and anyone who responds to Him, whether a Ninevite, a Hadspanite, whether you're from Evandale or Launceston, people who have no background in the church or religion whatsoever, to the religious, to the spiritual but not religious, People from any culture or country, Australia, Nigeria, to the people you know down the street, God promises that anyone who goes to Him like these Ninevites do, anyone who believes God, trusting in the Savior Jesus, God promises that He will relent of the judgment that we deserve for our sin. He will relent, because God is a God of mercy. And yet, at the same time, he doesn't let the wrongs we commit go unpunished. The Ninevites were very dodgy people. They were the bad guys. God doesn't just let sin off the hook. He is just. He is fair. And this is why Jesus came to the world. This is the gospel, you see. Jesus took the judgment that we deserve for our sin. God relents and turns away His judgment on us because He didn't relent on the judgment of Jesus. He poured out judgment onto Jesus at the cross. Our evil, our wickedness has gone up before the Lord and Jesus faced God's justice. He experienced it instead of us and He did this out of great love for us. And this really reveals something that is true for anyone here For all of us, whether we're religious or not, whether we have experience with God, whether we've come from a background where we know about God, whether we've known God for five minutes or 40 years, Jonah 3 shows us that we're all sinful, we're all lost apart from Jesus and all of us can be only saved by the mercy of God. We all need mercy, everyone needs mercy and praise God that mercy is on offer for all who believe. Titus 3.3 says, At one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in a malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous things we've done, but because of his mercy. Because of his mercy. That's it in the end. Jonah 3 is all about a God who has a heart for the nations a God who uses a very reluctant prophet in Jonah to show mercy to those who are far away from him. The Ninevites' conversion points toward when Jesus would come and after going to the cross and being raised from the dead, Jesus would say to us, who is disciples to us, go and make disciples of all nations. God's mission is that the message of Jesus would go out and the nations would be included In Jesus kingdom and at the end of time on that last day we will gather around the throne we will gather around the throne in glory and see the vast numbers of people who are brothers and sisters in Christ and together we will praise God and say how great is our God God has saved people from every tribe nation and tongue even Ninevites and even us and he has done it in Jesus amen let's have a word of prayer